Welcome to Insights for Manufacturing, a podcast that supports the UK manufacturing sector. Hosted by Jeff Beecham, the manufacturer's recruiter. Hello and welcome to Insights for Manufacturing. I'm delighted to welcome my guest today, Steve Lawrence. And Steve is the owner of Uncomplicated Group, uh, a manufacturing business. Welcome to the show, Steve. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, all good. It's been a, a busy couple of weeks. I'm I'm currently in Manchester. I'm in the factory that we'll uh, we'll get onto, I'm sure, as we as we speak. But I've met with insurance suppliers, energy suppliers, uh, recruitment folk, um, everything in between. Yeah. So um, I've got a well-deserved trip down the M6 tomorrow back home to look forward to. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, uh, just to, uh, before we get into the conversation, just to give the, the audience a bit of context around fascinating story in, in the hope that it might inspire other people who'd never thought about acquiring a business to dip their toe in the water, get stuck in, you know, get involved because it's a fantastic sector, as you know, mm. and I just think you're, you're blazing a bit of a trail and, uh, you're doing it with such positivity and, and passion. I just couldn't let that slip through the net. I just had to get you on the show and to, you know, to to get this story out to my podcast audience because it's uh, there's a bit of magic going on. I think so. So Same thanks here. for joining. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on, Jeff. Yeah, that's okay. So you're a first time acquirer or purchaser of a of, of a business. Wow, what what was your sort of reason in the first place or your motivation to you know, to make that decision and, and to to go on the acquisition uh, trail, as it were? I think there's a few different factors. I, the, the, the very short answer is I've had an itch that's remained unscratched for, for many years. So I guess to give you a bit more context in that, um, I worked for a big uh, corporate um, American manufacturing company for many, many years. Yeah. Um, and it was you know, one of those organizations with 14 billion of revenue and thousands of employees. And, and I was a middle manager and um, I was sat in the middle and our unit was quite small. So um, at the time, it didn't necessarily feel like it, but that was actually a good thing because there were few, fewer of us compared to masses of people. It yeah. meant that we often got sucked into doing uh, alongside my normal day job of sales, it would be some operational stuff, some engineering, um, financial and strategic planning and stuff like that. And um, yeah, it sometimes felt like maybe you were doing two or three jobs for the price of one. But what I realized was that you're actually just serving a pretty well-paid apprenticeship in how to run all facets of, uh, of a factory. Um, I'd always wanted to be self-employed or have my own thing, but my the excuse that I'd been telling myself for many years was that I'm not a very creative guy. And I thought to, to be self-employed, you needed to have um, some fancy idea or amazing thing that you build up. Um, and that's your route to being self-employed. Mm. And then during COVID, I was listening to a podcast just on a long walk, as I'm sure many of us were doing because there was nothing else to do. Um, and I heard about the notion of buying businesses I thought companies bought companies. I didn't realize people could buy companies. Yeah. So um, there's a whole wave, which I'm sure talk about, of, of retiring owners who are going to be looking to exit in the coming years. Uh, these are great businesses that have been around for a long time. They've got stable revenue. They've got established uh, staff, systems, um, equipment, you name it. Um, 
But the business, because it might be owned by someone who's in, say, their 60s, it might not be as up to speed or as up to date with automation, with social media, with modern yeah. manufacturing processes. So the the excuse that I had that I needed to be creative to um, go self-employed, it kind of went out the window because it's not a creative task. It's a fixing task. Yeah. And I've always seen myself as like a fixer. So I had to kind of call bullshit on myself, I guess, that the big excuse I've been using for not going self-employed, yeah. it kind of went away because there's this big wave of fixing that was there to be shot at. Um, and that just really excited me. So, um, yeah, I guess that's why and how it all kind of came about at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, and what a journey it's uh, it's shaping up to be. I mean, it's early days. You're, what, two two months in now almost? Yeah, I've lost count already, but I think I'm on week 10. Right. Okay. So you're you're into the double figures. That's always a that's always a good sign. <laughs> Still going. Um, so for the for the benefit of our audience, can you can you tell us a little bit about the business that you've bought? Who is it? What do they do? And and I'm keen to find out why why were they such a good fit for you know your your first acquisition? Sure. So the company's called Tech Markets, based in Manchester, um, and we're a 24-hour, five-day-a-week uh, injection molding operation. Yeah. And we mainly uh, mold components for the construction industry, so fasteners, okay. shims, and spacers, uh, things like that. We do a little bit for the furniture industry as well. Um, but yeah, the very the kind of zoomed-out summary would be we make industrial components, yeah. um, and they're injection molded. Uh, the reason I picked it was because I didn't want to stray too far from my background as a first acquisition. Mm. So, um, yeah, in corporate land, it was all injection molding. Um, we had a facility in the UK that was 24-7, obviously yeah. a lot bigger than what I've got here. But all of the lessons around the type of tech, the materials, customers, all that stuff, um, after many years of learning, to be able to have a basically a shorter onboarding um, once I did an acquisition, Yep. Because we, I had a close call with a metalworking business uh, that I got quite far down the line with, and it didn't end up happening in the end for one reason or another. Hmm. But then once that died off and it didn't happen, I thought, hang on, how long is it going to take me to be effective in that business and to be able to, you know, work out what the drivers of cost are, how to sell more, what the drivers in operational efficiencies might be. So the, one of the main reasons was because I didn't want to. Probably, I was probably biting off already enough to chew by going into this journey. So I, yeah. it's a shorten the onboarding. Let's stick in at least similar technology, similar equipment, similar markets and stuff to, to my background. Yeah. And then that way I can be hopefully more effective a lot quicker rather than spending six months trying to learn the mechanics of the business. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. I mean, there's a, a lot of synergy there. I think that um, that alignment certainly cuts out a lot of that early doors getting up to speed with everything as you say you know uh, it was a shorter onboarding period for you it, i suppose it almost felt like um out of one business into another one and you're familiar sort of familiar with you know the overall structure mm -hmm. and the workings you've got to get used to people plant uh customers and all the rest of it but um yeah that was a probably a really good place to start and yeah, I, I, I suppose if anybody was looking to to buy a business, that would that would probably be a one you know, the first piece of good advice, wouldn't it? Choose something that you're you know you're fairly aligned with, that you've got some knowledge of in the first place. 
Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of people in the um, acquisition space, I guess, talk about buying a company that's got an established management team in place mm. so that you're not just buying a job and you're in on the coalface on day one. So that's really important. And in theory, with that practice, you could buy any business because you've got that management team who are there who can yeah. run the day to day. But then I always think if, if you don't know the industry and what the drivers are and what's going on at a higher level, how are you going to lead those people? How are you going to recruit good people and retain good people? Yeah. So I have seen others and heard about others who they call it sector agnostic, where they'll buy anything. Um, but I think for me, I was just trying to be a bit more conservative at the beginning um, so that when you do have your management team, you can actually talk knowledgeably um, as quickly as possible yeah. rather than just being a passenger for an extended period. Yeah. And that, to me, that's it's a good example of, of where your compass is in terms of risk adversity. So clearly you're not totally risk averse because if you were, you wouldn't have stuck your neck out and, and bought a business, mm -hmm. but you're not, you're not too far down the other sort of end of the spectrum either. And I, yeah, I think everything's about balance, isn't it? You know, you, you've got to, you're pushing yourself out there, aren't you? To, to, you know, to have made this happen. And I guess you've got to weigh up what it is you want, what it is that's in front of you, the, the, that you're going to buy. And mm -hmm. then, you know, making those decisions as to how you're going to go about making it work. Um, and, and some things you've got to be a bit fearless, haven't you? So, you, you know, you, you must, you've got that entrepreneurial spirit. Otherwise we wouldn't be talking about this today, but then there are other things I'm sure about the business that you, you know, you'll take a much more calculated and risk conscious Mm -hmm. strategy in, in your decision making now you're in you're in the yes. door you, you know the feet are under the table uh to a degree i suppose i suppose it's roundabout now where you've you've had what 10 weeks of right now what have we got what have we actually mm -hmm. got because you would have seen a lot of it you would have had visits there throughout the process you know you wouldn't have bought business blind um but it's, it's not the same as getting in and and spending a lot of time in there watching things as, as things are un, unraveling um and becoming more visible you've built up a you know a good idea of the business you're gonna buy but ad until day one happens and you're in there just tell me what 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 has that been like um what was was it you know you you got what you what you saw or have you been sort of surprised by other other sort of things crawling out of the woodwork and things you maybe weren't prepared for? Um, I think you, you mentioned visiting several times. Unfortunately, that didn't happen because the business kind of sale process is shrouded in confidentiality. So I only visited the facility um, and had a walk around one time. Um, right, okay, and, yeah. And I went in and posed as a potential um, equipment supplier. Um, because clearly the owner doesn't necessarily at the time um, know whether you're going to be the one and they'll probably be seeing several people. Uh, yeah. So I probably had maybe 20 minutes on the shop floor walking around and seeing the business and getting a rough wow. idea of the flows. I met with the owner several times, but we did it off-site throughout the process. So yeah. Um, and that's standard. I just wondered, did you did you go after did you have the opportunity to go after hours when you know everyone? It's a twenty four hour facility, isn't it? Ah, so, right. Okay. Yeah. 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 So Difficult. I guess we didn't get the opportunity to have loads of preconceptions about what we'd seen because we'd only seen it that one time. And I think 
when you speak about surprises, I've been surprised at just how much more space we've got than I'd realised. We've okay. got a lot more runway in capacity and footprint than I'd realised. Yeah. You know, like when you, when you, maybe it's just me with spatial awareness, but when I bought, I bought my house two years ago, I was convinced that there was a door on a certain side in the viewing. And then when you get in there and the door's no longer there and you think, I was going to put my clothes in that cupboard. That's a problem. And it's the same here. You kind of remember things because you only walk around once. Yeah. So I remembered it being a certain way, um, but that's not the case. There's actually a lot more space than I've realised um, and a few other things, but nothing, nothing major. There's been nothing um, really negatively surprising. There's a few things that you wouldn't have been able to see. So yes. we knew one of one of the major things about buying from a retiring owner is, like I mentioned at the beginning, maybe the systems and the tech and the accounting practices might not be as modern uh, as a, like as certainly as much as I was used to in, in yeah. corporate times. Yeah. So when we got in on day one and we found that the team, there are two versions of our accounting software, neither of them are live. They only update it on a Saturday morning and they pass a USB stick between the office and the owner to do the bank payments. That was a big surprise that we just didn't see coming. And I could have visited yeah. the plant 10 times and I wouldn't have seen that. Um, so we quickly realized, hang on, how do we know if we're up to date on supplier payments? How do yeah. we know if we're up to date on chasing our debt? How do we know what our margin is in the month? Uh, so that's what we've been working through. The, a lot of the stuff I've been talking about on LinkedIn to, yes. um, to be able to, um, I said to the guys on day one when I got here that we're in a plane and we're flying without a fuel gauge. So that's cool if you fancy it, but I probably wouldn't step on the plane. So we really quickly need to know how yeah. much fuel we've got in the tank at any time. Yeah. Um, and I must have rolled that line out 50 times since I've been here. So, uh, yeah, I'd say that's probably the biggest one that we didn't see coming. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that. Any, any other uh, sort of, well, I suppose, challenges in the in the first couple of months? I mean, undoubtedly, you've you've already made some, you know, some positive changes since you've been in, you know, and you've brought that to the business. But I, I often see this scenario as a potential, you know, sort of a little bit like that board game, Snakes and Ladders, you know, you, you, you know, one step forward, two steps back, or, mm. you know, you have some really great wins yeah. and then you'll, you'll get your turn a corner as a banana skin that you, you know, you weren't prepared for. Has it felt a little bit like that? Um, or have you just been really lucky and things have pretty much fell into place? Um, I think I've personally probably been quite snakes and ladders because one minute we think, ah, oh, this is genius and it's going brilliantly. And then the next minute you think, ah, oh, what the hell are we doing? We're not making an impact or whatever, but that's more me. The business has been around since the late eighties and yeah. the customer base is very stable. The demand is very stable. Uh, the team on site, uh, are competent. They know what they've been doing. Yeah. They've been for a long time. So, yeah. so probably it's more been me when, I want to put something in and it's taking a bit longer than I would like, or yeah. I'd like to see this piece of data that doesn't exist because we've got these legacy systems and things. So, yeah, I don't think we've had any of those moments where you, like you say, we've, you've done something and then realized it was a total waste of time or a mistake. Or yeah. anything. It's probably more, uh, more me just in my onboarding, um, learning about the kind of ebbs and flows of the business that happened throughout the month. Yeah. And I suppose as a, as a business owner, emotion comes into it to a degree yeah. doesn't it you know it's how you, you your 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 plans and strategies and, and actions are one thing but then you're also you know 
whether you're at work or at home or whatever it might be, you know, you're also thinking to yourself, aren't you, um, about what you're going to do next, about, you know, the, the, the plans that you've put into place and maybe some of the new systems or procedures um, that you may be rolling out. You know, I hope this is going to going to work out. And until you get that sort of evidence yep. that you're seeking or that sort of affirmation, I think it's it's only human nature that you'd be like, you know, a little bit anxious that you, you know you, you're making the right decisions you've done the right thing is everybody on board um how, how have you sort of dealt with that because obviously you've worked for a you know huge huge american business uh that in itself comes with you know its own responsibility and 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 pressure mm. but now this is your business it's your baby yeah how has that sort of affected your or affected or not your your sort of capability to to sort of you know maybe stay calm or sometimes not overthink things too much mm. procrastination uh sometimes can kill a can kill a dream uh quickly so how how have you how have you how, or how are you managing that sort of that sort of mental side of things you know and the, and the emotion because it must be such a high to have gone through this journey so far and have and have done it mm -hmm. now you've got to sustain it you've got to make things better if you can um and grow and then i i guess you know look at another acquisition at some point but how, how are you dealing with that in in your head first couple of weeks probably not as well as i would have liked it was <laughs> it was a real, a real um real rush we uh, we had to complete on a friday afternoon by a certain period mm -hmm. um and then the deal completed at 454 on a friday afternoon so it's a bit like a mission impossible kind of story yeah um so the deal completes at 454 on a friday and then legally the business is mine yeah. um and then i didn't mention that i live in kent and the factory is based in manchester so it's not like it's around the corner so this deal was completed at 454 so um went out couple of beers celebrated we've finally done it we've been at this hunt for a long time brilliant yeah um and then it was okay now we've got to pack and didn't really get time to have that realization that the hunt bit the search that i was doing that's now over yeah. and they say that the hard work really starts yeah. um it doesn't feel like that when you're 18 months into a search constantly trying to knocking on doors and trying to get through with funding and due diligence and legal and stuff like that yeah and then suddenly on a sunday night i find myself in an airbnb in um an apartment in stretford overlooking man united's ground because the factory's a couple of miles down the road from there yeah and i'm going on a sunday night thinking tomorrow i need to talk to everybody and introduce myself as the new owner but on Friday afternoon just passed, I didn't own this company. So it was a real leap. And we didn't really get much time to like celebrate or really um, make our peace with what we just signed up to in a strange yeah. way. Yeah. So I think the first couple of weeks were a bit of a blur. Um, I got in, met everybody. Um, it all went fine. But even that night, I got home and thought, I hope that these people are all going to stay in this company. And I hope that the uh they're not going to be too worried about having a new owner and all the implications of that yeah so that took me a while to get over that um i'm getting at ease with it now as as i've met the people as they've met me and we're starting to understand about the business what we're trying to do their backgrounds the things we think we need to do in the business yeah. um but yeah at the beginning it was like i hope everyone doesn't quit what happens what are you going to do how are you going to run the factory is anyone going to lock the door like, all these really silly things <laughs> And the only yeah. therapy I had was the M6 because I'm in Kent. 
Um, yeah. At the end of my like stint in the factory, meeting everybody and stuff, you get a good four or five hours, depending upon traffic, of course, to yeah. um, unpick all of the thoughts and stuff like that. So probably no one's ever said it, but the M6 has been a blessing. You might well be one of the first people to say that, uh, especially yeah. as the years are going on. It's just getting worse and worse. But yeah, I, 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 I know where you're coming from. Okay, so going back to the people side of things, then, Steve, how how have you how have you gone about? And I'm asking you this really for for the benefit of of other people, maybe that are already in businesses, leading teams or leading a business, as well as people that might be considering buying a business. Mm-hmm. How have you gone about? building relationships with the existing employees there steve um i think the first thing is it sounds like kind of quite generalistic advice but just be yourself don't be a a version or a vision that you think people might want to see or anything like that i've just gone in and i've explained what my background is explained why this business was an attractive thing for us to pursue yeah um and just being be myself as much as possible um and just explain the why and the purpose behind the decisions that we're making. Uh, I've tried to spend as much time on the shop floor and in this facility, uh, even though I live in in the South, I want to be here so people can see um, that you're a real person and that everything you said on day one um, is actually the actions are aligned with what you're saying. So when you say you want to make improvements or you want to clean up or you want to focus on new markets, whatever, that we actually start to do it. Um, I introduced a monthly, like a bulletin that we put up so people can see the performance in the month, what we're going to be looking at next month. And then we follow up with doing that. Um, And then when people see me turn up and we're here doing the thing we said, I think that has been um, quite helpful. Yeah. I basically, my kind of, I guess, mantra, if you like, was the corporate experience was really great. And there was some really good parts of that around talent planning, talent management, and uh, the various meetings and the goods and bad things that happen where you learn a lot of skills. So I wanted to take all of the really great aspects of corporate, but ditch all the bad bits. You know, you get the kind of politics or posturing or um, finger pointing, all that. So I've really tried to do that with the people, whether I'm doing it the way they need to hear it. I, I don't quite know. I guess time will tell. But going from a big corporate to a company yeah. with 11 employees is, is a, quite a different thing. Yeah. But I think, yeah, explaining the purpose, doing as you say, and just showing up, go and have a look, get into the people's environment so we can see it rather than just having directives from above, because I yeah. don't think that always works because I'm the new guy. I've, I've said to the guys here consistently, the people closest to the work should make the decisions. Yeah. I'm the new guy. You, you guys know best. Um, you just need to be given permission to do it. They need to understand that I don't mind. Like, go and play with things. Go and try a project or go and try and do something differently. Yeah. Um, but we have to remember that we've got 20 to 30 years of the previous ownership um, habits and way of management. And then mine yeah. is only week 10. So I've got probably quite a long way to go towards um, getting everything the way that I sort of am used to having it. Yeah. But it sounds like you're, you've you've set off on the right foot. You know, you, you've got a number of things already in place. It sounds to me like it, your approach has been a mixture of, you know, being authentic, having clear communication, uh, that integrity piece of, you know, do what you say. Um, 
and also empathy as well. You know, if you're spending trying to spend as much time as you can with with the guys and and, and gals there, getting out and seeing what's happening on the shop floor. You know, mm-hmm. listening to people. You're already demonstrating all all of the sort of things that you know hopefully would endear people to what you're trying to do. You know, um, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there because you, you you've you've highlighted the fact that you know it's it's already been a a business that's ran for you know 30 40 years they've got a good a good team there they know what they're doing good products good customer base um sometimes businesses are a little bit too eager to just change things and turn everything on its head straight away um you've really just got to get under under the skin of everything find out what's what and then do more of what is working well and mm as I know you've been doing from reading your LinkedIn posts, start cutting down or cutting out the things that either aren't working so well or are, you know, not making you money or yeah. not as much margin as you need. So uh, that's all really good. What what have, what have the customers had to say then? I mean, I, I guess there would have been a, a process and a timescale of telling the customers or the, you know, the, the previous owner, you know, would have, needed to inform the customer base mm-hmm. of 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 exit and who was coming in and you know you you will have been introducing yourself to to the customers so what what's the feedback been for you so far from from the customer base i've actually to be honest not done too much on the customer side because the local team the local management team uh like i mentioned before the people closest to the work make the decisions so yeah um i when i came into this i didn't want to um buy a job where i'm the face of the company yeah um, i wanted to try my best not to get sucked into the day-to-day and kind of stay above the company yeah so it didn't really make sense for me to come in with my um with a, give a big beaming smile to the to the customers and say hey i'm the new guy so we've not done lots and lots of um pushing to the customers about the change they're they're aware that there's been a change um the guys on the phone will quite openly talk about it when they speak to customers on the phone um but yeah it's not been a huge look at me and look at all the changes because it's been running so consistently for a long time um the previous owner as well wasn't a customer facing person so we felt like it would create probably more questions um if i start turning up to every sales meeting and being there and wanting to be involved yeah uh, so i haven't done a great deal uh, there has been a difference on the supplier side, um, which okay. is that they're actually all getting paid on time now. Whereas before we didn't really have those systems and we used to have to wait till the weekend to pass the USB stick. Um, we, <laughs> yeah. we had a few situations in the first couple of weeks where material wasn't getting delivered and it was because we had a bill that we hadn't even kind of realized. Uh, and then obviously that creates chaos in the factory yeah. because we've got machines going up and down and people expediting materials and things. Um, I've had a few comments from the cut from the uh, supply side uh, that they're happy with, with the changes because a lot of that kind of uh, confusion has gone away. Right. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll chalk that one up as as a, as a win, I think. Yes, absolutely. Um, and yeah, like you say, time time will time will tell. I think uh, the future looks very very bright. I, I think in terms of customers as well regardless of whether you're customer facing or not, you know, yeah. sometimes no news is good news mm. in that it's been running well anyway. So I guess in one way, um, if you haven't, if you're not getting any, any, any sort of direct feedback or specific feedback about the change, then that's not a bad thing. Cause I think customers are very, 
forthright in if they're not happy with something you generally you'll you'll hear about it not always but um but generally oh, but that's really good so so pleased me as an individual so pleased to hear about your uh, your sort of attitude and, and philosophy around suppliers and, and paying people, you know, you know, you're, you're a, uh, an SME. It's so important for people to get paid. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't deal with any direct OEMs as such currently. It's not that I wouldn't, it's just, I don't know. It's horses for courses. I, I think sometimes the, o, the OEM element in the market, no, no matter what sector you're in, um, can have quite a damaging impact on their supply chain uh just through not playing ball you know mm. and i always really feel for the the, the small and medium-sized businesses um because cash flow is is king isn't it you know um some people say customers king well yes but cash it, it doesn't matter it, if you've got the customers if you haven't got the cash you haven't got a business anyway so they're both as important as each other and i think it just in this country in general you know we we need to get away from this if you if your terms of business are 30 days um or 14 or whatever it might be or seven days um 30 days you know i i've seen that in the past go from 30 days to well it's 30 days end of month but then ah well our next pay run is not for another you know and then so 30 days ends up being like 60 days Yep. Some companies just still won't pay that. Uh, I'm not going to name any particular sectors here, but I know there there are some sectors out there um, that are renowned for late payment, just screwing their suppliers. First of all, they'll screw you down to the floor on price. Yeah. Then they they almost break your organisation by getting you to run around, uh, you know, and. Um, whilst trying to be as lean as possible so you, you can't carry additional staff can you you've got to be as lean as you can to to make profit to stay in business to supply that customer and then you don't end up getting paid on time uh, but mm. it's not just a one-off it's a regular thing and it really really frustrates me there's so i think if there was one common theme and i suppose there are quite a few but you know i want to personally champion the common theme of smes getting paid on mm -hmm. time i just yeah. think i think there should be a law passed where if you're in business if you're a professional business it's against the law to not pay on time your terms of business your terms of business but how many companies will actually invoke that clause in your terms that says if you don't pay on time we are within our rights to charge interest at the whatever percentage is above the bank of england base rate I don't know many businesses that do that. Some do, but I think it's, you know, a lot of it's tosh. They're too scared of losing the business or losing mm -hmm. the customer. Um, but yeah, if you're, yeah, if you're pay making a point of paying your suppliers on time, that will set you in good stead. Cause if you look after your suppliers, you know, sometimes when you need a bit of support, yeah, they're going to be there for you. They'll go the extra mile. Um, so I just, I, rambled on a bit about that now but it's something I've, i'm really really passionate about okay so what what are the biggest opportunities for the business then currently what what are you seeing as where, where you might be able to take it next or improve or you know it, it's exciting the journey so far but what mm -hmm. you know what what's next i touched on it very briefly uh before around the kind of cleanup and modernization of business yeah. now yeah um you've probably seen on linkedin um 
I'm a big fan of 80-20, which is the Pareto. Pareto, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So this is one of my, um, I think I've even got my, my name on my tag, like 80-20 enthusiast or, or something like that. And I've seen some really amazing results from using it in my previous life. So the plan was always to, especially given what I'd said about fixing a business rather than creating something, the plan is to work out the small number of customers, processes, markets, whatever it may be, that are delivering that disproportionately high amount of margin, or revenue, results, or, or whatever, and really hone in on that and go and yeah. be very, very good at it. Yeah. Um, that's what we've done before and had success. So my um, kind of operating theory as part of this is let's use those principles we used in corporate on an SME, because very few people from what I've seen from all of the businesses I looked at in my search that level of thinking is not really there. Mm. So I'm really, really keen to test that theory. Um, and what it will probably mean is it will end up probably creating um, a lot more space in the facility because we're going to be focused on a smaller number of things giving us the bigger output. Yeah. Um, so that then means we've got capacity for growth. We've already got more than I remember from the walk around that I mentioned. Um, but by doing that, it's just going to give everyone back a load of time yeah. um, in our back office, in our uh, shop floor procedures, um, so that people can focus on improvement projects instead of just chasing late deliveries or um, hanging a tool that is going to take half a day to hang and then it's going to run for half a day and we're not going to make any money. Yeah. So I'm really excited to go through that process to make um, the operations as kind of efficient as, as they can be by using 8020. Yeah. And then that's going to create even more capacity, um, which then puts pressure on us to go and sell that capacity. And that's the bit that really excites me because when I was originally looking at buying the company, I didn't want to buy something that's kind of perfect and hasn't got any runway because yeah. all the value add is in the stuff that you're doing that no one else can or will or wants to do. So buying it with, oh, great, there's some capacity already. We think we can create some more uh, and the markets that we play in. I, I think we don't have that high a penetration in that market. Okay. So there's probably quite a lot of runway that we can go after. Yeah. Um, on top of that as well, with this sort of space opportunity, we could make another acquisition into this location quite easily. So um, that's really, really exciting. If we can get our operational engine to a point where it's running really really well we can put another kind of drop another acquisition into the business yep. into the location without causing absolute chaos i don't want to drop something in but if we've got no systems processes back office um loads of different materials loads of different tools it'll go wrong yeah um, the whole thing will fail but by uh yeah focusing in it's going to give us so much capacity and that's when the the really fun stuff starts brilliant so what, what do you think has been the, the, the biggest learn for you throughout the pre and post acquisition period, uh, either mm -hmm. as a, either as a person or a, as a business owner? I think I've probably got two. One of them is the lesson that for whatever reason, I just refuse to learn. And it's always sitting there um, in its patience. My, I, <laughs> I always think everything shouldn't take as long as it does. And even when you bake in some extra time for yep. it to take a bit more, it ends up taking even longer than that. Uh, so pre-acquisition, I thought I could have a search done within six months, quit my job, move over, happy days, perfect. That ended up taking 18 months. Uh, so then, of course, you're getting tetchy because you've said you're going to do this thing to yourself and you're pursuing something and it's not happening. So then yep. that kind of patience comes in. And then 
it's the same with the patience thing after acquisition because you've bought it and you're like, right, within a month, it needs to be brilliant and perfect. And I can go and sit on the beach. And that's never going to happen, is it? So despite knowing that it takes time and yeah. things need to compound up from small wins over time, I know it logically, but there's some kind of emotional part of me that says, can we just get on with it now, please? And yeah. um, so I think that's my biggest one. Again, it's the lesson that I'm probably going to answer this question the same every time for like 30 years until I learn my lesson. <laughs> um, and then the second thing is it's a people task. Buying a business and running a business is a people task. I I went into this at the beginning thinking it was a spreadsheet task. Mm. I thought it was, let's make the numbers stack up. Let's look at the performance of the business. Let's work out if we can borrow some money to, to buy it. Do they kind of like mash together? And then it all makes sense. But in reality, when you're talking about buying a company, especially from a retiring owner, the, the person who owns it has had the company for, say, 20, 30 years. Yep. They... Um, they don't want you to, they're not going to just give it to someone who doesn't know what they're doing. If you can't build a solid relationship with these people where you can collaborate because it's quite hard to negotiate. It's quite a difficult, touchy subject talking about yeah. money and getting under the bonnet of the business in the legal due diligence phase. Yeah. Um, so you can sort of bash someone with a spreadsheet as many times as you want, but that, it, it's not going to get you anywhere. So it took me a while to realize that you need to sit down and understand what people's motivations are uh, and work with them on an outcome that works for both of you yeah. instead of like you versus them trying to push a deal over the line. That just doesn't work. And then it's exactly the same inside the business post acquisition. Um, you put models together to get your funding and you have all of your cash flow forecasts and they're all great and they, you can present it on the wall, but that never happens because something on the shop floor will happen or someone won't behave the way you expect or someone will be better than you expect or whatever yeah. it may be. Yeah. So yeah, they're my two. Number one is the patience thing. And then the second one is that it's way more of a people task than uh, perhaps you would, uh, you would realize or read about. Yeah. Well, people is what I, is what I do. I, that's music to my ears. I, I think if more businesses, I'm not just going to say particularly manufacturing businesses, that would be unfair. But I think if more businesses in general took a more people-oriented approach to their business, uh, surprising what better outcomes you can get. Yeah. We're useless in a business without people. So, okay. Um, a, a piece of quick advice coming to the end of the, the, the sort of podcast, but if you could pick one piece of advice to give to somebody who's thinking about making their first acquisition based on your experience what what would it be i'm gonna to have to say two but i'll be fast go on <laughs> uh, firstly is just start get on with it don't don't okay. hang on there's there's a big demographic of uh retiring owners in in the uk um according to the the research that i've been doing around 40 percent of uh, smes in manufacturing are owned by someone over the age of 55 yeah. In other words, in the next 10 to 15 years, 40% of our SMEs are going to either close their doors, sell, hand it over to someone else. Um, a lot of them haven't got succession plans. Their kids want to yeah. go on TikTok or sell insurance. So there are not many manufacturing people around um, who have necessarily got the skills to do it. So if you have or if you want to get into it, now's a great time because there's a big wave of people. So stop kind of sitting back and procrastinating or maybe like I did for years um and just get on with it because the time is a very good time for it yeah um and the second thing is there's a lot to learn so having a network of people around you who are trying to do the same thing 
is um, really valuable. I tried to go at it completely alone for probably nine months, something like that. Yeah. Um, and it's hard. And But having, when I built an, like a small network of people and joined some groups who are trying to do the same thing as you, yeah. you can't talk in the pub on a Friday night with your mates about your failed deal because of the due diligence or whatever. They don't get it. There are very few people doing it. So having some people to talk to and some tips uh, and some people who have already trod on the path where you want to go, yeah. um, really, really valuable. It sped up my journey so much more than uh, than I thought it would, even though I thought, oh, I just do it on my own. Six months later, this will be done. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just get on with it and um, find some people who you can, uh, who are in the same kind of trenches as you are when you're doing it. Fantastic. That's really sound advice, Steve. Um, and just finally, what 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 are your what are your plans next for Uncomplicated Group? Without wanting to, I'm getting a bit impatient now because I'm so bought into your journey. <laughs> if I had a crystal ball to see what you guys are going to be doing in the next year or two, I would be I'd be looking in it now. Uh, <laughs> fascinated. Uh, any any sort of medium term plans? You know, you, you're still early doors in this, but you know, I, I suppose it's got to be part of one eye on the future as well. Yeah, I, I'd like to get more um, work into this location. Um, yeah. We've certainly got the space to use the footprint better. So um, behind that comes many initiatives around developing our people, investing in the site um, and building the systems to be able to do it, which is yeah. really exciting. That's what I really like. That's that fixing bit I spoke about. Yeah. So I'd really, really love to have um, another acquisition into the location to kind of prove our uh, that our theories can work and that we've done the operational stuff right to be able to absorb it. Yep. And so I think probably that's our next, let's say 12 to 18 month plan, get on with some cleanup, get us really ready for it. Yeah. Um, and then move something in. I think that would be great. Uh, and then maybe a separate location in the future. We'd always said we wanted a group that could look after each other so we could share resources. We could share back office software, tool making equipment yeah. capacity. Um, yeah. Cause you've got, you're less exposed if there's a few of you rather than just one. Um, but yeah, back to my impatience thing. I, I yeah, we'll have that done within a year, but no, 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 no. It's going to take a lot longer and there's a lot more to learn than I probably had realized at the, uh, at the beginning, yeah. uh, but that's still on the horizon. That would be something we'd like to shoot towards. Brilliant. Well, Steve, it's been a real pleasure um, talking to you today on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I hope you've uh, in enjoyed the discussion. Uh, as much as I have. So uh, that wraps up today's awesome. episode. Um, Thank you. Hope it's been a, a, a really interesting and insightful conversation for our audience. That's it for another uh, another episode. Thanks again to Steve Lawrence from Uncomplicated Group. Thank you for listening and look out for the next episode of Insights for Manufacturing. See you next time. And bye -bye.